tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, atmospheric science graduate and skyworn storm spotter Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel Kim Cunningham, Emmy-winning storm chaser and photographer Chris Sanner, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network coordinator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, Skywarn storm spotter and chaser Phil Johnson. Hey, welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. This is the Stormfront Freaks podcast. If you're a first-time listener, hey, thanks for stopping by. Be sure to go to stormfrontfreaks.com to check out our library of previous shows and popular guests from the weather industry. And we've had some hoots on, haven't we? That's where you guys yes. say yes. Yes, we have. Yes. You're not used We're to that. We're used to Phil saying, don't Phil, interrupt. Yeah, exactly. Phil's like, oh, this is going to be just mayhem tonight here, okay? I'm just going to let you know that. So anyway, hey, this is episode 56 on the wild side, just to let you know. And we're excited to be talking with Brantley Hargrove, author of the new book, The Man Who Caught the Storm, which is the life of legendary tornado chaser, Tim Samaras. We'll also be discussing if we will be ever able to micro forecast tornadoes for your neighborhood or city. And stick around for the lightning round, weather resources, weather fools, and more. Before we get to all that, let's share some news with you. Hey, check out all the latest weather-themed clothing and accessories at helicitydesigns.com. And while you're there, check out the exclusive line of Stormfront Freaks podcast shirts, hats, and drinking containers. You also get a 5% discount on your entire order when you use the code PODCAST at checkout. Find it all at helicitydesigns.com. All right. Well, we always start our show off with happy hour, which means it's always happy hour here. And if this is playing in the morning, it's actually not. So just to let you know, so we're not all alcoholics. It says right? who? Okay. Well, you are an alcoholic. <laughs> Besides that. <laughs> so, hey, MJ, let's start off with what you're drinking in. All right. Tonight, I'm drinking an industrial size Captain and Coke because I'm on vacation too. Oh, yeah, that doesn't look like your place behind you. Are you worried about that? Nope, it's our, it's our lake place. Oh, nice. nice. Also, did you catch the shirt? There's lakes in Minnesota? What? There are a couple. Yes, there are. Yes. And are you I'm, in Minnesota or Wisconsin? I'm in Minnesota. Okay, awesome. Yes, and I'm sporting the shirt too, so there you go. Okay. Very cool. cool. I like it. All right, Kim, what are you drinking tonight? Well, you know, I've been doing a little different lately, but this time I'm doing some wine. I started out. Um, oh. This is what? Yeah, I know. You know, I'm I'm really trying to watch the calories, so I'm staying away from beer. And wine is not as has less calories in the beer that I like. <laughs> like Apothic Dark. You've heard Apothic Red. Oh. This is Apothic Dark, and it's okay. a it's a red blend. It's really good, delicious. What's, what's in it for reds? I don't know. Okay. Current. You mean is that what you mean? Like what kind of? Yeah, so what's the the blend that's in there? Tones in it. Yeah, the blend. It's okay. <laughs> it's it's a red blend. We don't know things. It's a red blend. <laughs> at least you're not. Maybe my internet's freezing up. Or at least you're not drinking out of the bottle this week, so that's good. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get to Dina. Dina, what are you drinking tonight? Well, you know I love that Blackberry Moonshine. Was, oh, good girl. I love that. Uh -huh. And it doesn't put me to sleep. Like, you know, I had a glass of wine earlier and then took a nap. But uh, this you put with, you know, fruit juices and stuff. It's really good. It's, it has a kick. Did you make it yourself? Yes. You get really? like blackberry moonshine. You can actually buy it at the liquor store. You put um, one, two shots, you know, how much you want. Uh, cranberry juice, orange juice, pineapple juice, and put a bunch of berries in it. You are good to go. Very cool. Awesome. We can always count on you. I try to drink well. I try to drink well. <laughs> For all of us. Just remember, don't drink heavily on podcast. All right. Wow. Hey, Brantley, I don't know if you know this, but we occasionally imbibe here. So, uh, are you drinking something tonight? Uh, well, at the moment, I'm just drinking water. But shortly before I came on, um, I had had a, a, a double uh, Maker's Mark on the rocks uh, mm -hmm. in the hotel lobby where I'm staying at in the D.C. area. Wait, you're and then staying? Then I went in next door lobby? to an Indian food restaurant and got a um, an Indian beer. Oh, oh, how was nice. that? Quite good, really nice. Is it, is it like um, a dark it was beer? Delicious. Or? No, it was a, it was a, it was a light. 
uh, crisp lager that went very well with the the chana masala that I had. Wow. So wow, he's uh, was, he's fancy for us. He is. Yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to make sure we know you're not actually staying in the lobby, right? No, no, okay. not. I'm, I'm, I have an actual room. Okay. okay, very good. It's a nice room too. Just like, okay. how about you? How about you, Maz? So yeah, I'm 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 trying to pick up a McDonald's sponsor, as you can tell here. Very so nice. I was at my son's baseball game where it's it was like 87, so it's not bad. Tomorrow the heat index is supposed to be like 105 or something yeah. crazy. So they got it in tonight. So I got the Diet Coke, because whether you know it or not. I've lost eight pounds. Yeah. In the oh, you look super skinny. Yeah. Great. And I really, yeah. that's, Diet Coke's not my favorite. So I was looking upstairs, couldn't find the captain, couldn't find anything. I'm like, who's been like getting into our cabinet? There was like almondine or some kind of almond liqueur. So I'm like, that's all that's in there. We'll throw a shot in there. It's actually not bad. So, Very good. Yeah. It's kind of sweet. Anyway. So speaking of sweet, hey, Kim. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Good. You're supposed to say hello. Hey, why don't you introduce hello. the guest for tonight? Tell us a little bit about him and let's kick this thing off, shall we? All right. We're going to introduce Brantley Hargrove. He's the author of The Man Who Caught the Storm, the life of legendary tornado chaser Tim Samaras. And Brantley is a journalist who has written for Wired, Popular Mechanics. In his reporting, he has explored the world of South American jewel thieves who terrorize diamond dealers in South Florida. Is that true, by the way? Is it a true story, Brantley? It's a true story. It is true. Okay, good, good. And he's gone inside the effort to reverse engineer super tornadoes using supercomputers, and he's chased violent storms from the Great Plains down to the Texas coast, including a landfalling Category 4 hurricane and one of the rarest tornadic events in recent memory, twin EF4 tornadoes that chewed through a small Nebraska farming village. Now, he lives in Dallas, Texas with his wife, Renee, and their two cats. And the man ah. who got the storm ah. is his first book. But you've been writing for a while. So how did you how did you get the idea for this book? Uh, well, <clears throat> I think I've always been interested in tornadoes. I mean, ever since I was a little kid. I mean, if you've read the book, you know a little bit about kind of some of the backstory and my, my connection with tornadoes. I grew up... Uh, uh, for the most part, near this little town called uh, Weir, Texas, which um, is you know, sort of central Texas, north of Austin. And uh, I worked in a, uh, a little general store uh, in Gerald, Texas uh, in 1996, I believe, just stocking shelves. It's the first job I ever had. Uh, and then the next year, uh, Gerald got hit by an EF5 tornado. I mean, you know, an EF5 tornado that's not just an EF5 tornado, like, you know, the legendary pantheon of all tornadoes. Um, just amazingly, astoundingly devastating. And so, you know, so that happened in 97. Twister came out in 96, I believe. You know, I was like 14 and 15 years old at the time. So, I mean, I was just, there was no way I was not going to be interested in tornadoes in some kind of dark, you know, uh, teenage way. Um, so, you know, by the time I by the time I heard about El Reno, you know, I was a little bit familiar with Tim Samaras. I'd seen um, his, his show on, on the Discovery Channel. Um, and, yeah, it was just, it was one of those stories that you can't turn away from. They're just like you read about it and then you just keep thinking about it and thinking about it. Like, who was this guy? Like, you know, so he was trying to study tornadoes and that required some extreme proximity uh, and that ended up costing his life. I mean, that was it was it was it was a story that I could not stop thinking about it to the point where I was like, "All right, I got to do this. I got to write this story." So, how long did you think about it? And I mean, was it like rolling around in your head for how long? Well, I mean, I was, I definitely remember you know I have strong memories you know of watching more on the on the twentieth of May, twenty thirteen, and then El Reno uh, on the thirty first. Um, and just seeing, you know, some, some chase being completely astounded. Um, and then, you know, once word began to leak out about what happened to him, I mean, I was just, you know, I was just thinking about it, started talking, uh, you know, to uh, one of my writer friends and, you know, we were both agreed that it was about most stories we work on. And, uh, we were both fascinated by it. He had something else to do at the moment. Um, he was really buried deep. Needed something to pitch a meeting, and I was like, "Man, I want to do this." So I'm just—I I pitched it, and uh, you know, in, 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 in no time at all, I was uh, on a plane to uh, 
to Denver and I was driving to, uh, you know, South Central Oklahoma to, you know, to visit the scene. How long did it take you to write the book? Oh gosh. Um, you know, from the moment I got the, the contract from my publisher and started working on the actual reporting to the time it came out was probably almost four years. Wow. Four years. Mm -hmm. Cause where, how did you get, how did you like backtrack and get some of your information? Cause, um, when I was reading the book, I kind of just assumed you knew him, but, um, it sounds like you really kind of came into the scene after he had passed away. I did. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, so, you know, starting whenever I first was writing that story, um, th that first story, I was working for the Dallas Observer here in Dallas, Texas. And, um, uh, you know, I pitched it to my editor. Obviously, it was a story that had nothing to do with Dallas whatsoever. But, um, you know, we had a program. It was a, sort of a network of all-weekly newspapers where if you found a story with national uh, interest and significance, you know, you could write it. And so, you know, I, I went and did all this stuff, and it probably took about – um, you know, a few weeks. I only had like three weeks, I think, to um, to write that initial piece and to research it and all that. And uh, so I just kind of started, you know, sort of at the outside and worked my way in. Um, you know, I knew uh, one of my old professors at uh, the University of North Texas was a storm chaser who knew um, who knew Tim and some of the people involved. So he was kind of able to, you know, point me in the right directions. And it's just sort of just that I talked to recommending other people that I should. Um, and then I went and visited them in, uh, in, in, in Colorado. And, um, you know, I didn't necessarily get, you know, I, I didn't get to, you know, Tim's family, you know, his, his most innermost circle uh, at that point because they were still, this was right after, they were still, you know, grieving heavily um, and weren't ready to talk to anybody, frankly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was really just talking to his friends, his colleagues, you know, his chase buddies. And, um, uh, you know, and also at the same time, piecing together, yeah, because we, we really didn't know. I mean, it wasn't the, the narrative of what happened that day wasn't that well established yet. So I was I was reporting. I was trying to gather the strands of of what happened so that I might make sense of it. And so I was talking to people like Dan Robinson. You know, I I I, I got his his rear dash camera, which which gave me. I mean, we you know, would show the last living images of uh, of Tim and Carl and Paul. That came, gave me sort of an idea of what happened. I mean, I knew you know, it, it wasn't hard to see what happened. Um, so you, you know, actually talking with watched the video. You actually saw it. You actually watched the video. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and so that was that was obviously a big piece of putting together, you know, sort of these final moments. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, also just talking with people who, uh, you know, who are familiar with. Uh, you know, that the events of that whole day of that of that entire chase, just getting them to kind of piece it together for me. And, um, you know, just going back to people who knew him well and, and piecing together his his career. I mean, it was, you know, it was a shorter story. It was probably like 5000 words. So it was also a matter of um, figuring out, OK, what you know, what was this man trying to accomplish? What what led him to this point, to this particular stretch of dirt road uh, south of El Reno, Oklahoma? And so that was really my prime objective was to was to answer those questions. I think that was just amazing. Just the way the, the prologue, I mean, really got me. I just think the research you did about some of these bigger tornadoes and the damage, I was just blown away, you know, mm -hmm. about some of the damage that was found by some of these tornadoes. And I just, it had me in tears, the prologue, just knowing the end result of this. I just thought it was so well written. And I also thought just how you, how you described him as a, as a weather fanatic. And just, you know, I, I love the wizard of Oz. That's what got me interested in tornadoes. And that just touched me when I knew that he did too. And that the man never went to college for meteorology and just his background that, that just, I just really enjoyed learning that about him. And I appreciate, you know, you putting all that in there at the beginning, I really felt like, you know, we connected with him and especially those of us in the field that, um, I really felt connected to this man who had such a love for weather and was willing to risk so much for it. I appreciate that. No, really? I mean, really the, the I was going to say, it I sounds think. like you have a future as an author. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> you should write a book. <laughs> I know. And, and I'm serious too, because I was like, it's one of the first books where I couldn't put it down. 
I, I literally couldn't put it down. And as, as you're interviewing people and you're researching, you're talking to all of his friends, is there anything that kind of just like, you were like, Oh wow, just totally shocked you or, or just surprised you? Um, you know, I think one of the things that kind of surprised me early on when I was doing, uh, you know, some of this research into some of his early intercept attempts, um, and I hadn't really seen reported anywhere else, was uh, how close he often had to cut it, to do what he did. Um, uh, you know, Stratford, Texas, um, a month or so before uh, his, his, his deployment in Manchester in 2003, his great deployment, um, they had a really uh, hairy uh, few moments there. Where I mean, it wasn't clear to them. I don't think whether they were getting hit by the tornado or maybe some RFD or a combination. Or you know, it, it wasn't clear. But they were. I mean, they were getting batted around the road by you know, 100 plus mile per hour winds while they're driving, trying to get out of it. Um, you know, I mean, braving baseball sized hail. Uh, uh, you know, in Manchester. Uh, you know, he 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 dropped his probe, and the probe. Uh, logged the peak winds of that tornado 80 seconds later. Hmm. Um, yes. Um, you know, I mean, there were other times where, you know, what there's one time we was out with Paul um, deploying on the, uh, I believe it was the Tipton, uh, uh, Oklahoma, uh, Tipton, Kansas, maybe uh, tornado. Um, and I want to say that was like in 2008 and uh, 2009. And uh, I think they had like in the teens of seconds, uh, and it wasn't a particularly strong tornado. So, you know, I mean, it probably wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been horrific if they'd gotten hit by it. But I mean, it really just, I, I think I was surprised by how close he had to cut it. And I, and, and what I realized was that that was, that was a necessity. Um, there was really no way around it. And the reason that Tim was so successful, the reason he was able to, to get these deployments and gather these, these intercepts from, you know, from actual tornado cores, which is something nobody had ever done before, was because he was willing to get closer than anybody else was willing. Um, and so I think that was one thing that really surprised me, was just how many close brushes there were before El Reno. So how do you feel about storm chasers and storm chasing now? I mean, I get it. Look, I get it. Um, you know, I came into this. I came into this this story having never. You know, well, uh, it's not necessarily true. Whenever I was a cub reporter in Oklahoma, uh, not Oklahoma, Wyoming, my first newspaper job, I kind of chased a tornado. It was a funnel cloud that was probably in contact with the ground. It, it, it wasn't easy to see from where we were, and we tried to get close to it, and we didn't succeed. It roped out before we could even get near it, but. You know, uh, that was really all, that was really the only experience I had. Um, so I didn't know anything about the culture, um, you know, beyond what I'd seen on TV and on Twister. Um, and so, you know, one of the first, kind of my first orders of business as I was researching this book, I mean, literally the very, one of the very first things I knew I needed to do, uh, because as I was getting my book contract, it was tornado season, was I needed to go out storm chasing because that's, that's really the, the best way to understand somebody writing about it, is to try to live in their world a little bit. Um, and so I did. And, you know, I, it was, you know, I, I got the whole, the whole experience in one season. I mean, the, the frustration and the busts and, uh, you know, all that driving, God, all that driving. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, that, that, that season for me ended, ended in Pilger, Nebraska, Pilger, Nebraska in uh, 2014. You know, anybody who knows, knows about Pilger. So, I was on the air I at mean, the time. <laughs> were you? Yeah, I was on the Weather Channel. I didn't, or we were. We had a live shot of it. Two of them, two EF4s, incredible. Yeah, we saw four. I believe we saw four or five EF4s that day. Ooh, so, I mean, it, you know, I got it at that point. I got why mm -hmm. why he was driven out, you know, onto the plane season after season. I mean, it was, you know, incredibly thrilling. And I completely understood this hold it had of him. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I've, I've gone chasing since, even though I'm done with the book. So, you know, I, it's, uh, look, I, I, I like, I like, I've some, I, I count some storm chasers as my friends. Um, and I completely get this, uh, this passion. 
Um, you know, I mean, I also think that, you know, as we've seen this year and in previous years and all the way back to 2013, people taking a lot of really unnecessary risks. But I mean, you know, it's a free country and they're, you know, consenting adults. So, um, you know, far be it for me to stand in the way. You know, sometimes you read books <clears throat> on topics like this and it's it's very factual and there isn't the connection there like Kim was talking about. I. I was in the van. I felt like I was in the van yeah. and, and I am like, look out, you know, I would, I just felt that. Yeah. And uh, man, I will tell you, I, I've actually never storm chased myself because being on air, we never got the opportunity to do that. Matter of fact, we're always stuck in the radar room. So we never even had a chance to go outside a lot of times and look at stuff. So um, you feel like it's changed your life in any way writing this book? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's set me on a, a different path. I think, um, you know, I was, uh, before I started writing this book, I was a, you know, freelance journalist and wrote for magazines and that's probably not going to change too much. I'm going to, I mean, I'm still doing that. I'm going to keep doing that. But, um, I mean, it made me realize that I wanted to, I, I wanted to write books. I really like deep diving deep into subjects like this, you know, spending, you know, a few years at a time on something and really getting to understand it, you know, inside and out. Um, I mean, it also it also changed my life in other ways, too. I mean, you know, the storm chasing the you know, even after the book was done, uh, you know, me and me and a, a storm chasing buddy of mine went and uh, got into Hurricane Harvey's eyewall. Um, wow. So, I mean, that's not something I would have done before I wrote this book. Most um, sane people don't. Yeah. A little bit of. Um, you know, a, a little bit of sort of taking stock of, of, of you know, why I did that. And, um, you know, it's, it, I, I think it's something that's not entirely uncommon among storm chasers. It's like, okay, you chase a storm. What are you going to do for the rest of the year? Well, maybe I'll go chase this uh, this hurricane or maybe I'll go look at this, uh, um, this volcano or this forest fire. I mean, there's sort of a... Um, uh, a kind of disaster tourism that I think can can take hold once you've once you've seen some of these things. So Brantley, I have a question for you because you said you didn't talk to his family right away, which I think is great because they needed their time. Um, what do they think about it now? Have you spoken to them? I have. Yeah, yeah. I had um, I had lunch with uh, Kathy Samaras um, uh, and. When I'm there for um, a, a leg of the book tour, um, I hadn't seen her in a couple of years, and so I wanted to I wanted to touch bases with her. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, she's she's I think she's I think she's happy with the book. I mean, I I, I kind of hesitate to to speak for Kathy at any points because I think she can do that herself. But I mean, she did bring a few copies of the book to uh, to our lunch to have me sign them for her her her, her family and friends. Um, so you know, I, I think she's. I think she was wary of the book at first. I don't think that's that would be out of turn for me to say, um, because I think she maybe felt burned in the past. We 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 talked and worked together for you know a few years on this thing, and um, you know, I think I think she uh, you know eventually came to see the book as kind of a all right, all right. Here's a way to sort of cement her husband her husband and Paul's legacy, and for you know people to to learn about them, and you know. And, and get to know them better and what they, what they were able to accomplish in their lives. Matt, do you think this is, this is going to be the end of this or do you foresee like a follow-up to this in, you know, the chasing community or something like that? Or are you just going to move on to other topics? Uh, I think, I think I'm moving on. Um, I don't, I don't, I think I've said um, in terms of writing uh, everything I need to say uh, about the subject. I haven't left anything behind. I haven't left anything out. Um, it's all there for people to read and critique. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I will be moving on to other, you know, I, who knows what I really haven't decided at this point. I'm, I, I've got a couple of, uh, projects, uh, cooking right now. I'm going to go, uh, canoe 50 or 60 miles of the Rio Grande. Um, oh to the <laughs> um, don't be lazy, Brantley. Oh, yeah, don't, don't hold back. <laughs> Uh, and there's some people who are doing some really interesting thing with uh, things with um, uh, forest fire science right now. It's a very, very Tim Samaras esque project, very vortex, uh, vortex, vortex two type project about to happen in um, in uh, the world of uh, wildfire science. So that's that's something I'm I'm already working on getting into, and I, I hopefully hopefully next summer that'll be um, that'll be a big uh, big magazine 
project for me. All right. So one word when you're canoeing, life jacket. <laughs> yeah, <right>. yes, exactly. <laughs> so Brantley, what was, if you had to say what the most difficult part of the, of writing the book was, or the most emotional part, what was, what was the hardest part for you? Um, you know, interviewing Kathy Samaras, yeah. I would say, yeah. um, that yeah. was, I mean, mo more for her, obviously, than for me, but it was a, a pretty, pretty brutal interview. Um, I mean, our first interview, our very first interview was like, I want to say it was like seven hours long. I um, mean, wow. we took a break for lunch. But, um, I mean, it was incredibly emotional. And, um, you know, I mean, it's really just, it's, 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 you know, every day that you're working on this book and writing it, you know, you're, you're, you're always trying to keep in mind that, okay, this, these are real people. Um, mm -hmm. There's real pain here, you know. <laughs> Tim's wife and his children are going to read this like so you yeah. it's it, it's this balance of okay I've got to I've got to tell the whole truth here unvarnished um I, I can't leave anything out I can't sugarcoat it but I also need to be sensitive um yeah. so it was that was striking that balance is also difficult but yeah I mean just just talking to Kathy I mean it's always just you know your heart your heart breaks for her but she's she's a very strong person. She doesn't need my help. I don't think she needs, you know, really really anybody's help. But I think she does need our support and for you know us to remember that you know she's lost um, more than most of us can fathom. Right. Yeah. Well, Tim Tim was an amazing guy, and his wife was amazing for allowing him the freedom to do all the stuff yeah. that he did. Mm -hmm. And uh, what an amazing book. So uh, so Brantley, how can our listeners find and follow you on social media, or or how can they find your book? Uh, you can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Um, I mean, I think for the most part, it's in almost any bookstore you go to. Um, but you can also order it uh, on on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. Uh, I mean, I always suggest going to your local bookstore, um, support your local yeah, economy. But I mean, you know, if you want to listen to it, there's also an audio book. So you can, you know, you have somebody read you, read you the book. Who uh, reads? Who's who's reading uh, it? Personally. Um, uh, a guy named uh, uh, an actor and a voice actor named Jacques Roy. I listened to the podcast. I mean, the the, the, the prologue mm -hmm. of, um, of 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 his his reading of my book, and it, he has a very nice voice. Yeah, oh, that's cool. that's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Well, very cool. Hey, time now for our lightning round. It's kind of a game show. Of brilliant questions. For our <laughs> <guests>. <laughs> I don't know about minute. that, but okay. Did Phil write that? Yes, he did. I think he did. <laughs> he did. Hey, so we invite everybody to play along. Hey, tonight we're going to be playing our version of Minute to Win It. So we have in our pre presence a huge cat. Brantley, you're a cat fan, yes? A, a what fan? A cat fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like cats. Awesome. And who just <laughs> cats are cool. Oh, and, and, look who just, and look who just joined us. Oh, Brady. oh wow. Hey, Perfect timing. Brady. Well, no, I may have fallen asleep. I may have. Fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't promise it. Hey, Brady, just, yeah. just a tip for you. Um, if I were your boss, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so now we, now we have two big cat fans in our presence. So, yes, uh, and, and I, he actually, very nice shirt, by the way, very supporting the, uh, the whole yellow thing. That's cool. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to see how well both of them, Brady and Brantley know their famous cartoon cats. All right. So we have a list of the top 30 greatest cats in cartoons and comics, according to fans of ranker.com. So if you don't like the answers, it's not us. It's ranker.com. <laughs> So we're going to give Brantley approximately 15 seconds. I've, I've made an executive decision. I'm giving him 20. You're going to give him 20. Okay, we're going to give him 20 okay. seconds to think of as many cartoon cats that are famous as he can. And then we're going to turn it over to Brady, our other cat fanatic, to see how many of the remaining 30 cartoon cats are on the list that he can come up with in his 15 to 20 seconds. We'll give them 20 as well. Sure. And these cats, by the way, include cats and lions and tigers. So they're all part of the cat oh. family. All right. <laughs> all right. So uh, do we have the, uh, do we have the timer set there, MJ? We, we have the timer ready. Okay. All right. So on your mark, you ready, Brantley? I'm ready. On your mark, get set, name them. Okay. Uh, Tom from Tom and Jerry, uh, Felix the cat, um, uh, Simba 
from the Lion King, Nala from the Lion King, um, Simba's dad. I don't know what Simba's no, dad. Yeah. Um, oh God. Uh, yeah, here's where I here's where I fail. Um, I think I might have exhausted. My <laughs> you got four. Is that time? That is that's, time. All, that's all I got. That's my I got. how quickly time goes. <laughs> Brady's making a list over there. Yeah. Okay. So no, no, not. So what I have that you said is you said Tom from Tom and Jerry. You said Simba. You said Felix the cat. You said Nala, and you said Simba's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think Simba's maybe might, might get you a half of Simba's mom too, yeah. Wait. Simba's cousins. Wait. <laughs> Simba was Simba's dad. Oh, no, I can't say that. All right. No, don't say it yet. Okay. Mustafa. Wait, oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, Ooh, that, like, was that the uh, uncle? Yeah. That was the mean uncle, wasn't it? Don't, don't that might be the mean uncle. Right. Right. <laughs> You're giving Brady chips. Don't give Brady. Yeah, don't give All right. So the clock is reset for the remaining 30. Ready, Brady? Yep, let's do it. Name them. Uh, Tom from Tom and Jerry, Garfield. Oh, um, Garfield, Garfield. Man, uh, Pink Panther. I don't know if that's a cat. It is a panther. Um, so there's, oh, Pokemon. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a Pokemon named Meowth. I don't know if that's in there as well. Keep going. Uh, God. Time? Oh! Oh! Time. Grumpy Cat. I don't know. Okay. The wonderful thing about Tiggers. Come All on. Right. And Sylvester. Right? Yeah. So, our, our final score, Brady had three. And Brantley wins with four and a half. Oh, oh Brantley. Forest points for number one. Oh, man. <laughs> Great job, Brantley. MK, tell him what he's won. Pride, lots yeah, of pretty much it here. We don't have to. Sorry. All right. So that being said, we're gonna take a short break, maybe longer, just to get over that. And if you're listening to the audio podcast, you're gonna hear from the Titan U Minute with Chris Sanner. So stay right here. We'll be back with Brantley and the freaks to discuss. If we will ever get a point, get to a point, we'll be able to forecast tornadoes in your specific neighborhood or city. We'll be right back. And now it's time for the Titan U Minute with Chris Satter. When it comes to supercells, is there a certain type we should look for when it comes to seeing tornadoes happen? The answer is yes. There are three main classifications for supercells traditionally. There's the classic supercells, where the downdraft is strong, but not too overwhelming. There's HP or high precipitation supercells. Then there's the LP supercells or low precipitation supercells. So which of these three tend to produce the most tornadoes? It's no surprise, but classic supercells with everything in balance have been observed as the most prolific tornado producers. HP supercells are next. These high precipitation storms have very wet rear flank downdrafts which typically obscure the low-level mesocyclone from view. These storms can produce strong rain-wrapped tornadoes. For chasing, they're kind of nightmarish. An HP supercell with a more powerful and wet RFD will pose less of a tornado threat than one with stronger inflow and slightly weaker rear flank downdrafts. LP supercells are next. These supercells are typically higher based and could have transparent storm cores where only hell is falling. On radar, they may not look like much, even though they could be producing gigantic hell. Tornadoes are more rare with LP supercells, though a tornado with an LP supercell is typically the most photogenic of them all, which is why they're so prized. Regardless of supercell type, these storms have deep mesocyclones and should be watched carefully by all storm chasers and storm spotters for the potential for very severe weather. Hey, I have a new series called Wild Weather. It's available on YouTube and Facebook and on our website, tornadotitans.com. Visit us there and be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. We'll see you next time. Okay, so welcome back. Uh, Brentley's book described people like Tim Samaras have been gathering data about tornadoes and our atmosphere for years and progress continues to be made in forecasting. But will we ever have enough data 
and understanding of tornadoes to be able to predict down to a city or even neighborhood where they will form. So any, any of the freaks or anybody, feel free to jump on in here. Why stop there, Maz? Why not down to a house? How about <laughs> <laughs> exactly. down, down to a room. And the, way, the reason I say that is because some of the apps out there are, are trying to do that with, you know, lightning is detected in your area within a mile and it's, mm -hmm. it's expected to be right. there. And on, and um, before I left the air, we actually had the, we came out with the storm tracking, which was relatively new. And it, you know, it'll be in, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio in 12 minutes, that type of thing. So that's the storm. But what about the tornado or right. something very specific? I'm going to say, I think it's possible, not in the near future, but think about it. Like even with Brantley's book, there was that whole section on where he was saying before they even really had radar and how radar started. And then all of a sudden, then people were able to see these tornadoes on radar you know, look at how far we've come in 50 years. I mean, the whole country is covered with radar sites. We have satellites. We have um, high-resolution radar. We have dual-pole radar. I mean, if we've come that far, I mean, it, it's possible. Not not tomorrow and not next year, mm -hmm. but it, I think maybe it's possible. And our models are getting better all the time. You know, mm -hmm. going from, I think, when I was in college, you had the NGM model. And, yeah. you know, then you had like, you have the GFS and the Euro, and then you got to the RPM and it was like, ah, oh, the RPM is so great. And then you've got the, the her model, which is, uh, I mean, it's maybe, maybe a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, Dean, I agree with that. I think as models get better, we will get better. And as radars get better, we will get more accurate. And we're already kind of starting to see that trend in the national weather service, especially they're really trying to focus on eliminating some of those false alarms and restricting those tornado boxes to be as specific as possible. But I think, you know, we're only going to be as good as our radar is because I think when you, you know, we still have a bunch of false alarms that happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think until we can solve the problem of, Hey, let, let, let's, you know, really try and eliminate some of these false alarms until we get that technology, it's going to be hard to get very, very precise um, on tornado, you know, prediction and warnings, I think you're still going to have a general area until we can kind of get some of that technology. So, and so I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's going to be, you know, a day ahead of time. It's going to be maybe a half an hour ahead of time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, and even a half hour has been, it is. that's massive. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. That's life-saving. I think until they can figure out, you know, they still, I don't even know if they know for sure why sometimes a supercell does not form a tornado until they can figure that out. I don't see how, you know, how they can build an algorithm or anything that would know exactly where a tornado is going to form. You know what I mean? So I think once they solve that mystery, that might help too. Brantley, what did, did you get a feel for anything when you were talking to some of these chasers or these scientists that, you know, their feelings for the future? Yeah, I did uh, a few things. Um, you know, one, I know that 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 uh, you know some federal scientists have had um, some some pretty good outcomes so far with using climate models to do more specific uh, prediction of, of mesoscale type um, events. Um, I, I, I talked to a, a scientist uh, maybe a year ago um, who who was. I mean, they hadn't published anything yet, but he was having really good luck predicting some of these events. I mean, definitely not down to like a city or a block, but predicting events. Um, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the main obstacle that sits in our way is we still don't really understand um, how, the, how the tornado connects, um, how, 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 it, how it generates that vorticity from the broader environment, you know, that sort of 100 meters to the tornado like we still don't really know what's going on there because we don't have the instrumentation to see it um radar doesn't get there right. um so you know really until we get more data from that from that area you know we can see how how these tornadoes uh you know connect to sort of the broader storm environment and generate that what about this and why some don't um you know we're not i, I don't think we're going to be all that close to predicting with any kind of um 
temporal or, um, you know, location type specificity. I mean, also, I mean, just take a look at like, I mean, there's just so many things that are hard to pin down about tornadoes. I mean, look at more uh, Oklahoma 2013. I mean, you know, that, that supercell was, I mean, it was whatever um, until it ran into the outflow from another decaying thunderstorm. And then it suddenly went into beast mode and started cutting EF4 and EF5 damage. Um, so how do you predict that? How do you predict like when a storm is going to run into some random ass inflow and, uh, and, and, and start producing killer uh, winds where before it did not? Like that, that seems like a really difficult problem to solve to me. Well, how do you feel like Samaris's data has helped? And then what do you think he could have done, you know, if, if he were still around? I mean, the guy was on the cutting edge. Um, well, you know, I mean, what, what, what's in, in some ways kind of one of the things I've learned about, you know, what he was able to do was, I mean, in some ways his data, whenever he, whenever he generated it, I mean, it was, it was appreciated because it was novel and because it, nothing like it had ever existed before. But at the same time, nobody really knew what to do with it. Um, and to an extent, we still don't really know what to do with it because we didn't know enough about what was going on at the lowest levels of the tornado for his data to really answer a whole lot of questions. I mean, it was basically his data was, uh, in essence, answering questions that we didn't know how to ask, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's in, in a way like a hypothesis that we hadn't even formulated yet. Like we didn't know what to do with it. Wow. Um, and I think that's changing soon i think it's 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 a matter of knowing what questions to ask and i think we're getting closer to knowing how to ask the right questions about that data and uh, and what it means and so I, I frankly i think tim's data is going to be more valuable uh going forward than it has been in the past like what do you see I mean, I think I think as 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 we as we gain more understanding about how the tornado connects uh, to the broader storm environment, how it how it turns that horizontal vorticity into the vertical, how it connects to this ground level core. I mean, I think that's going to be essential. I think we're going to have to have that data because I mean, we're going to we're, we're going to be producing models based on this understanding. And we're going to need Tim's data to verify those models. I mean, models are only as good as the observations we have. And the observations really don't tell us a whole lot without the models to explain the broader mechanics. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's yeah, I, th I think, I think you're gonna, I think in the, you know, in the coming years, you're gonna see a lot more people citing Manchester, South Dakota, Samaras. Hmm. Right, and even, you know, in the book, you talk about, you know, what came together for them to, be caught up in in the tornado and you know how could they have forecasted or how could somebody have known that it was going to all of a sudden move due north you know i mean and that's something as well you know so if somebody's trying to forecast where this tornado is going to go nobody was thinking it was going to go north you know but i guess the rear flying downdraft maybe had something to do with that but um um so that's another question too yeah, well, I know some people who are working on that question. Um, really? I wrote, for, I wrote a, a long story for Wired um, about, you know, Bruce Lee and Kathy Finley, um, two of Tim's main collaborators, uh, and a, a scientist named uh, Lee Orff at the uh, uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, who, who have been using supercomputer to, um, you know, essentially using a bunch of um, radio sonde uh, and, and other observations and feeding it into this, uh, this model and then having the supercomputer just run through all the potential outcomes to generate uh, these really faithful looking um, supercells and the attached uh, tornado that look a lot like the real, the, the real thing that those observations came from. And so that's one of the storms they're looking at because they do have a lot of observations from, uh, uh, you know, from, from, you know, near the El Reno tornado, you know, from within that, that whole environment. So that's one thing they're definitely looking at is what made that, um, you know, what that made that tornado so unique, what it made, what made it behave the way it did with just, you know, these yeah. astounding number of scales of rotation. I mean, it's just rotation on top of rotation on top of rotation. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the forces as well that, um, you know, really, really uh, kicked on the afterburners in that tornado, you know, where it grew hugely upscale and, and, and sped up and turned um, and, and, and just got huge. Um, so that, that, that's, that's, I'm, I'm going to be following very closely what they, 
what they learned from that. I mean, just just as somebody who's interested. Yeah, we'd love to have you back on when you when you find out or when you hear something about that. That's sure. very interesting. I wonder if you know how if you go back before we had all the spaghetti models for the hurricanes, and that was just an amazing tool that we still use today. But back in the day, it was just it was fantastic. If that will be one of the next things for tornadoes, if they'll have some sort of spaghetti model potential with what Brantley was just talking about, you know, in in maybe the next step. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think Brantley and company, I think you're hitting on a very important point is, you know, events like that, where we're at right now, we're going back and doing case studies on them. We can't, we're not even close to being able to predict in the moment. So I think we've got, you know, we've got a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. And I think another aspect um, that we're not even thinking about is the communication aspect. I mean, you know, I can't even tell you how many people I know don't know the difference between a tornado warning and a tornado watch. So even if we do get, even if we do get, you know, these these warnings down to a very specific, very pinpointed area, I think there's got to be, you know, another battle being fought on the, you know, the broadcast, the communication front. Um, you know, on really trying to educate and solve that problem because that's a big problem as well. Um, I, I'm sure Maz, you've dealt with that, and uh, Kim as well, and even Dina. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's gonna it's a challenge uh, going forward. But I, you know, we've got some smart people like you guys working on it. So, because mm-hmm. then you need you need processing speed too. I mean, mm-hmm. your spaghetti models is a great idea, but you know, it's also running models off um, a system that's not that's going already, that's going for a while, like a tornado could just pop up. So these computers are going to have to crank this data out quickly. But they're getting better. They are. I mean, think about it. Like, think about how fast these computers are now compared to the old days with the big ones that took up the room. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, you remember Professor Hobgood. um, Oh, gosh. He was my professor before he was yours, Brady. And (laughs) And mine. Yeah, that's right. And when he would run his uh, his computer models for hurricanes, he would have to leave Nebraska and he went to uh, Chicago to run on their crate yeah, computers. Right. Yep. Yeah. And <laughs> what, what would take four hours up there took the entire weekend in Nebraska and there was just no time. So think how far we've come since then with computing power and speed yeah. and mm-hmm. You know, maybe we will get there. <laughs> maybe Apple will figure it out. <laughs> you do it right on your phone. Well, I know, like, you know, the, the, the story that I wrote for Wired, um, you know, uh, 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 Lee Orff at the University of Wisconsin using uh, Blue Waters, which, I mean, you know, is, 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 is right up there with the state of the art in terms of supercomputing. Um, for him to run an entire simulation, I mean, it would take um, hours and hours. Um, and, and the issue is that tornadoes, happen on a pretty brief temporal uh, <laughs> scale. I mean, they happen yeah. real fast. Sometimes the uh, the conditions that are going to generate a really nasty tornado aren't present until shortly before. I mean, it's, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's, some, there's some big challenges uh, yeah. in the way of that. Awesome. Well, everybody, let us know what you think of the subject. You can email us at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and tag us uh, your thoughts so we can share on our next show. And Brantley, uh, so the, the book again is The Man Who Caught the Storm. Tell us again real quick how we can find the book, how we can follow you on Twitter and those various different things. Sure. Um, yeah, so uh, The Man Who Caught the Storm is available. It should be almost any bookstore, uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Nobles. Um, you know, uh, you download uh, the ebook off of Amazon or iTunes. Uh, you can get a, a, an audio book. Um, and, uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter. It's, uh, at Brant Hargrove. Uh, I have a, I have a Facebook authors page, just Brantley Hargrove. Um, uh, so yeah, you can follow me there. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, Brantley. Well, we're going to take our final break and you can refill your beverages or use the restroom, whatever you got to do there. (laughs) When we come back, it's time to share some of our weather resources and we're never short on weather fools. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ginger Z from ABC News, and you are listening to the Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Hey, 
Welcome back to Stormcoat Freaks Podcast, and this is the part of the show we call WX Resources. And this is all the cool things like uh, either websites or apps or something cool where you can get good weather information. And Kim, I think you have a weather resource, right? I do. And I happened upon this on Twitter. Um, Janice Dean, you know, we had her on recently. Um, she was either retweeting or talking with, um, I believe, um, Rick. Hang on, I got to find out. Remember what his name is. Um, Reichmith, I think. He's um, a chief meteorologist for Fox News. He's the creator of the weatherman, the unforgettable umbrella. Have you guys heard about this? No. Yeah. I mean, it's, I got one in the mail. I ordered it and bought it because they were um, actually donating like $5, I think, per umbrella to help military families. I think it's what it was. But oh. I just thought it was really cool to do. But um, so anyway, this umbrella is very cool because what it does, I'll show you. It's, it's a red, white, and blue one for one, and it's called the Weatherman. Okay, you see it right here. It says the Weatherman on it, and it's actually built to endure winds up to 55 miles an hour. Wow. But also, it's water oh, wow. repellent and fast drying, which is awesome. And it's actually, there's a Bluetooth. You, there's a, a thing you attach to it wow. that you can actually... Um, this will keep it from getting lost. You know how you lose your umbrella? Oh, yeah. right? no well, it's an app that you download that you got to keep track of where your umbrella is. But also, it will notify you when rain is coming. I'm telling you, this what? is so awesome. <laughs> I just got it measure pressure? Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. Does it measure pressure or something? Um, I'm not sure. I just got it today, and I haven't had time to really look at it. But um, if you go to Weatherman um, Umbrella. So, do you see it, or is you not seeing it yet? We see Dina. Where's the skeletons? Where's the skeletons again? No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so there it is. All right, so there it is. Weatherman and you can go there and look at it and check it out. And um, I think it's really awesome. I think he's going to be on our show. As a matter of fact, the creator of this coming up in a couple of months. I think. Um, I think. Um, we have him booked, I'm pretty sure. So Phil, I think, booked him. But anyway, just so cool. The fact that it notifies you when you're raining, I can't wait to try this out. So anyway. Looks like so, one of those freeze pops. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it does, doesn't it? Store. I don't know. It's yeah. red, white, and blue, and it's yeah. perfect for, you know, um, 4th of July coming up. But what a great gift for a weather man or woman, I think. Anyway. <laughs> so Kim, so try yes. it out. Like, turn the shower on and see if all of a sudden your umbrella goes off or something. <laughs> okay, I'll let you know. <laughs> me out. I'll let you know in two weeks. I'll, I'll test this thing out and let you know. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, that's mine. All right. Uh, I have one, too. Um, this, uh, this, I'll share my screen, too, just because we can. And this is uh, from IntelliCast.com. And I have done IntelliCast before, but this is um, kind of an interactive map. And uh, we'll put all of our information and links on episode 56 show notes. Wait, what are but, we looking at? Okay. Can you see this? Yeah. It's a map. Yes, we can. And, uh, you know, you could put different layers on here. You can put radar. I've got storm tracking on here now, so you can okay. click on these. Um, they've got earthquakes, fire detection. So there's all kinds of cool overlays you could do, and you could loop it. Um, but I just thought it was neat. I, I'll just let you guys look at it. But, I mean, you could plot temperature, satellite, dew point, water temperatures in the Pacific and the Atlantic. It's it's great. So try it out. Uh, it's IntelliCast.com forward slash content forward slash trop underscore live cat. Uh, and that's long, but don't worry about it. Just go to the episode 56 show notes and you can get it there. Hey, before Perfect. we move on, speaking of earthquakes and seismic stuff, I was just floored in the Tim Samaras book about the seismic Shockwaves. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "What?" Yeah, I that agree. was so cool. Yeah, and I haven't finished the book. Is there anything more in it? That's the uh, the last half of the book. No, not about that. Okay. Not Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Come on, guys. Yeah. Well, it's wow. That's cool. I want to yeah. know more about that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to like okay. stop. <laughs> All right, I think that's it on the weather resources. All right, guys, now it's time for Weather Fools. Dina, that was great. Um, 
but I think this segment really plays, really caters to you know our audience. I think this is, I've heard from multiple viewers, this is their favorite time. This is their favorite <laughs> point on the show. It's Weather Fools, where us as the freaks, we're going out on the internet, we're going out on the news, we're going out on YouTube videos. We're looking for someone that did something funny, stupid, silly, or just downright dumb, and it relates to the weather. So you you sell it, propeller head. Yeah. You know what? That's 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 my second job. I'm a I'm a salesman, right? I sold popcorn as a kid, and now I'm selling lemonade and <laughs> trying to start a little business here. Next is no, a container case on a string. So no, the the ceiling fan is right over your head. It looks like it's coming like a beanie. Here I thought you were giving me a compliment. But. It looks like it, you got a haircut too or something. I did. Different I did. Style. A, the ceiling fan. A little different style, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, anyway. So I think, Dina, who's your weather for this week? Okay. This, uh, I got to share this just because it's so funny. Oh, you have to. Um, because this is a video. This was on Facebook. It's from Severe Weather EU videos. And um you know, I, if you're going to drive through flooded waters and I catch it, I'm going to make fun of you. <laughs> okay. So this, I'm going to hit play. And this is one of those tiny little cars oh, that gosh. went through. And oh, it went, God. I mean, the water's going above the hood. And all of a sudden you just see it like lift up. Oh, this is ah, like a boat. There it goes. Now, oh, if you're going to do that stuff. And it's one of those tiny little cars where like <gasps> you, you feel like you could just pick it up. Yeah. And move it, but like even the cars that were parked on the side of the road are floating, and he just drove right into it. Like, oh, what are you gosh. thinking? Man, they're not but, thinking. Oh my no, gosh. and you can't see it. You can't see anything. So it's just stupid. Stop and, it. And you can't sell the car because now it has flood damage. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, you probably can over there. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, just patch it up. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a good lesson. People do not drive. I don't even care how how you know deep it is don't drive into standing water and it wasn't like it was a tank it was no. a teeny tiny yeah, little car right. no and then and you could see down farther down that there were cars that were flooded and <laughs> you know it's, it's, oh, well. a fault. it's a fault we all have pride that person just had a little too much yeah <laughs> right. drink, more speed maybe yeah uh, yeah <laughs> go a little faster I'll do, get some hydro, do some hydroplane all right kim kim who is your yes. weather pool all right, this is more of a serious um, weather full. Okay, so let me share this. This happened in St. Louis. This is heat related. And let me get this guy up here and tell me if you see it. Do you see it? Yeah, yeah. Phil, we are screen sharing, by the way, if you're listening to the audio okay. only. So. He, he is watching. Okay. okay. Okay, good. All right, so this one. Um, okay, here we go. Share. Okay. There we go. There we go. Okay. So this happened in St. Louis, it's heat related. And this man was fired. Um, he worked at a, like a nursing home and he took um, an elderly person and a disabled person to the, um, an auto store to get an oil change. He forgot they were in the car. Oh my God. In the van. Oh, They're grown Yes, he went inside, no. and when the guys came out to get the car, to take it in, to get the oil change, they found these two people in the back of the car with the windows up, and they were um, they were okay, though. They oh, estimate that, okay. that they were in there probably about 20 minutes, but the windows were up, um, the car was off, and they were okay, but this guy got fired because if he'd been there for a long time, unfortunately sure. for him, he just made a mistake, and, and, and they're not, I don't think there's any criminal... They're not, he's not getting, you know, um, yeah. arrested or anything for it, but um, they did, they did fire this guy. I mean, well, it's just one of the times of the year that people forget. I mean, you just got to pay attention in the summer, especially with heat and leaving people and pets in the car. And it's just inexcusable. If you ask me, how do you forget you've got yeah. an elderly person, disabled person in the car with you? How do you forget your baby in there? I don't it's know. It's not yeah. like they're it's small crazy. and behind the seat. That right. You don't see. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's right. just it's completely hundred percent preventable, and that's what's so frustrating. That exactly, and the same thing with driving across a flooded roadway. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. It's preventable. Yeah. You know, you make a, you make a decision, and you make a bad one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right, I think uh, Maz. 
you have a weather fool? No, MJ. MJ's got a weather yeah. fool. He's raising his hand. All right. You know better than that. Matt yeah, I know. Do you do that. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt doesn't come prepared. Absolutely not. I'm going to go back to Dina's driving issue. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I'm going to make people go to the episode 56 show notes and find this one themselves mm -hmm. rather than share the screen. Just, you know, there's got to be some mystery. Right? Bam. Uh, <laughs> so um, speaking of driving, uh, and this was shared to us by Warren Madden, our friend. Yeah. Uh, oh, Warren. Who, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who sent us this. And it is a boat that drives through a water spout. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I, I watched that. It was crazy. I did, did you see it? it? Yes. Yeah. yes. And you could go, woohoo, they're going through yeah. it. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going right at it. But yet you watch pieces and things kind of fly around at the front of the boat. I don't know what it is exactly, but it doesn't. I think they lost their beer cooler in that, too. <laughs> they should. Very That's likely. So, so I'll so. be honest. I think that I might do that some, at some yeah. point in my life. I may do that. If there's no funnel like that, I may Brady? do that. Yeah. Brady, start with a dust devil first. Okay, yeah. that's right. I've right. already really done that. Devil, so I've already done one that. One. Those okay. are brutal. Some of those are brutal. Yeah, they are. So there you go. What? That's a good weatherful, and you guys definitely need to check that out. I think all of us freaks. Oh, that's a good one, you guys. That is um, a good one. That'll be on, on Twitter. Oh Twitter yeah, too. it's on Twitter at our Stormfront mm -hmm. Freaks uh, Twitter account, as well as on our website StormfrontFreaks.com. Uh, you can check out the show fifty six show notes and uh, we'll post all the links there and uh what's next guys well you know what phil would say hey mj do we have any yeah. listener questions yeah. and responses and you know we do wow in fact so jennifer brindley uh says i already have a copy of this magnificent book referring to yeah. uh, mm -hmm. uh our guest today uh brantley's book and says just retweeting because everyone should probably listen to this episode which we agree with yeah. and and buy the book and read it immediately so, yeah. and if she, if, she, if she hasn't finished here's how it ends oh spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> and I then we got, have not finished go ahead then we got a couple of comments from our past episode 55 uh jclick at jclick 65 says 55 was a great show not just saying that because ashley is in texas but it helps referring to of course ashley morris our guest on episode 55. um also in that same uh, note atx wx girl says another awesome podcast by the stormfront freaks this episode features my good friend and local emergency manager at miss ashes 92 that's ashley morris from episode 55 and peter at plaid wx uh, is waiting for his cinnabon I know that was a comment or something oh. that we have oh. back on that episode as well. So those are our listener comments. Thank you, well, everybody, and well, keep well, going. Well, Plaid WX, we're still waiting on our Cinnabons, too. So <laughs> yeah. join, the, join the club. Uh, <laughs> and was that ATX or a Texas weather girl? Is that what that was? Yeah. Well, it's ATX WX girl, so I suppose a Texas, a Texas weather, weather girl, girl is yeah. probably how that goes. Hey, I read license plates. I'm You're like, good. Say, because I and, run into the back of them. And <laughs> didn't we just get endorsed by Pepsi? Isn't this where we do the Pepsi ad or Gatorade or something? Yes, along with McDonald's and McDonald's. McDonald's. Right there, a dollar for any size beverage. There you go. Well, not any beverage, but soda. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, then give me the biggest one you have with a quarter ice. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is better. Can't beat that. Then you were in New York. You couldn't have gotten that big one. Yeah. MJ, is that it? Is that that's it. Yep, that's all awesome. I got. Thank you all for doing that. Hey, and that just about does it for this episode of Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Thank you for listening and watching. Before we share the reveal of our next guest, if you enjoy our show, please do us a favor and leave a great review on your podcast app. If it's a bad review, don't do it, okay? Because we just want the tip. And stuff. Yeah, just keep it to yourself. Please. That's right. Yeah, yeah. forget That's about it. it. All right, just write about your blog. Yeah, yeah. no one will. You'll be a weather fool if you do. Yeah, That's we've right. got thin skin here. And uh, <laughs> some of us, some of us are just hammered like you. But anyway, so hey, and don't forget to subscribe to the show by hitting your podcast app subscribe button. This works just like a magazine or newspaper subscription. It assures the latest show gets delivered right to your podcast inbox to listen the moment it's released, which is pretty cool. Hey, special thanks again to our guest, Brentley Hargrove. He was fantastic. Let's Absolutely. give him another round of applause. Yeah. He was awesome. Woo! Very cool. And our next episode is in two weeks. 
will be recording on July 12th with legendary Alabama meteorologist and weather brain James Spann. Is All right. Oh, James Spann. Nice. I'm wearing my suspenders. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're going to give him the Stormfront Freaks treatment this time, so make sure you tune in for that. If you like to watch the recording live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, which is why you threw me off, MJ, when you said it's 8 o'clock here. I was like, what? Anyway, sorry. I'm like, we'll give him the Stormfront Freaks treatment, and uh, check out our YouTube channel by searching Stormfront Freaks. So if that's it for MJ, Brady, Dina, Kim... I'm signaling the all clear. We'll catch you next time. And uh, by the way, uh, my battery's about to die, so we're going to have to wrap up real quick. All right, bye. <laughs> so see ya. Thanks, bye, everybody. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. To subscribe and be notified when new episodes of our bi-weekly show are available, you can go to Apple Podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app and search for Stormfront Freaks. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter at Stormfront Freak. We'd love to hear from you. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out the interactive radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.